I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. It's been more than 20 years now since I left the White House, but one question I still get asked all the time is, what was the best part of living in the White House? Well, most importantly, living in the White House means... The American people have given you the honor of serving our country and the best job in the world. But there are also a lot of other great parts about it. You walk around through history, which you see in paintings and sculpture and the old clocks everywhere. You get the chance to work in the Oval Office, which even on the cloudiest, rainiest days is full of light. There's a good bowling alley in the basement, a nice swimming pool outside, and maybe above all else, There's a wonderful movie theater. Our family really loved watching movies in the White House Theater, whether alone or with guests at special occasions. Over the course of my presidency, we screened dozens and dozens of movies, both keeping up with new releases and re-watching old favorites. Since we could watch any movie from the comfort of our home, you may wonder why, in May of 1995, Hillary and I chose instead to go out to the theater to see one. The premiere of Mi Familia, the story of a Mexican-American family in East Los Angeles. The answer is simple. It had a great cast and a great story, and we wanted to give our support publicly to a movie that was helping to show what our American family really looks like. 
So why am I telling you this? Because representation in film and television, on stage and in other media, really matters. People deserve to feel that their lives and stories are important and worthy of being told. And it's equally crucial that we tear down stereotypes so that people of all backgrounds believe they can achieve whatever role they want to play, whether on screen or in real life. There's no one who's worked harder to make that a reality than my guest today, Jimmy Smits. Jimmy, who also happens to be one of the stars of Mi Familia, has spent more than 30 years creating some of the most memorable characters we've seen, from lawyers to police officers, from taxi dispatchers to the President of the United States. He's not only entertained us, but he's helped to change the face of movies, television, and the stage. And as a co-founder of the National Hispanic Foundation for the Arts, he's worked tirelessly to improve representation and given hundreds of promising young Latino students the opportunity to pursue their dreams in the arts through scholarships. You know him from L.A. Law, NYPD Blue, Dexter, The West Wing, Sons of Anarchy, Star Wars, and much more. And next month, you will know him as Kevin in the film adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda's wonderful In the Heights. Jimmy, thanks so much for being here. Indeed, my honor, Mr. President. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. Most of us got to know you when you broke through as Victor Cifuentes on L.A. Law. And since then, we've watched you bring an incredible range of characters to life. Tell us about life and influences before most of us got to know you on screen. At what point did you decide you wanted to pursue acting? Not an easy path regardless. And especially because, as you said, you didn't see many examples of Latino actors to follow. I think the fact that we moved around a lot as a family, in New York uh, mostly, but for a time we lived in Puerto Rico as well. And I think having to adapt to new environments because it, I come from a working class family uh, and sometimes things, times were good and sometimes times were not great. So we lived in all types of neighborhoods, sometimes with other extended family members. Um, and because of that, I think as a, as a young person, I was always trying to, to fit into a new environment or having to speak a new, another language that I wasn't fam as familiar with. And, uh, and I think that was where the, the seeds were planted. Uh, I loved doing impersonations when I was young for my dad's poker buddies. Um, Nikita Khrushchev banging, banging his, uh, his shoe at the table. Or Ed Sullivan introducing uh, the Beatles and then putting on mom's wig and... So that, it, it was those little things that, uh, is that trying to fit in. Uh, that's, that's what I keep seeing when I look back. And then in terms of the education process, you know, every, every immigrant family wants their, their child, their children to do better. And education was a big thing for, for my family. And um, it started in junior high school with regards to theater. Uh, I went to a junior high school in Brooklyn called George Gershwin Junior High School. So you, 
you know from the name that there was a, a musical theater bent and there was a couple of music teachers there that uh, did school plays and we went through the canon of Rodgers and Hammerstein over and over again and uh, so that's where it started. I In high school there was another, it was always a there was always an educational person along the way that gave me a little push to the next level. Uh, there was a high school teacher that uh, was a taught drama and, and English literature, and he took us to go see Broadway plays. So it was in the seventies. It was exposure to to seeing Shakespeare and Shaw, and uh, and there was always times where. There were people that I could see, seeing it is permission to aspire in a way, you know, in terms of representation. So to see somebody like James Earl Jones and Raul Julia in the theater really impressed me and uh, because I saw the commonalities. And... Uh, and I wasn't a great student, Mr. President, in school, but uh, I found that when I could put my energies towards researching a role that I was doing, uh, I, would, I could spend hours in the library trying to find out why 18th century cups were made the way they were. You know, I could, so it was my handle that I found, that I found something that I uh, felt that I was good at, that... Uh, that I loved, that there was a love there. And so I was able to apply those things that I got from those teachers and, um, and feel good. So that's where, that's where the, bug, the bug was hit. And then in school, in high school, it was about going to, you know, being, going, going to college and then a, a professor there who was, act, who was a professional actor and one of our professors said, you know, you probably could go to L.A. and be the crook of the week on some TV show, but you've shown interest in the classics, and uh, I think you should think about graduate school and trying to amass more tools in your toolbox, because what we do is a craft. So that's, I applied to a number of graduate schools and uh, got accepted in Cornell University, who had, at that time, had a very small almost monastic type of program. The education process has been the key for me, Mr. President. And um, it's one of the reasons you, you, know, you mentioned the Hispanic Foundation for the Arts that uh, tried to kind of pass that along. My, my, my mother, with her religious background, always said, you know, look, look over your shoulder at, for the person who's right behind you and try to give a helping hand. So everybody chooses their path in our business. There's no right way of that. There are different paths that you wind up wind up choosing. And for me, the educational process has been uh, the key in a lot of respects to uh, to literature, to doing what I love, and and to having that you know that toolbox. And then there's there's preparation, and then there's you know opportunity and a little bit of luck, and uh, so coming coming back to New York, there there was it just started in terms of work, working off Broadway, and 
and doing doing stuff here and there and then you know working on uh working on television how many years were you in puerto rico two well we uh you know there was always the the christmas the summers but when i had to go to school when i was scared yeah, there was two it was like during the wonder years that you know nine to eleven and did you uh did you have to improve your Spanish when you went down there to communicate? Oh, oh, it's it was like uh, into the frying pan. And and culture for me, like really American culture, just the immigration process was reversed. So culture just ceased in a way. There was no more Ed Sullivan and the Beatles. And it wasn't as uh, it wasn't the primary focus. I was I was immersed in, you know, different types of music and Things that I knew, but on a daily basis, the politics of the island, all, all of the, all of those things, um, and and now you know, looking back, it was a very traumatic time for me because again, trying to fit in, and being called a Yankee as a kid, in the, the, during those years when I was going to school, oh, you're a Yankee. What do you mean I'm a Yankee? But um, but it, it is the it's the formation of. Everything that I am as an adult, my my feelings about culture and music, and all, and w what I do in terms of my roles are influenced by by that time. And do you still go back every now and then? Absolutely, absolutely. And and I just want to thank you for what you know. September September twentieth, two thousand seventeen was. Uh, a day that we all remember on the island in terms of Hurricane, Hurricane Maria and what happened. And uh, in terms of like what my mother said, looking over your shoulder and trying to give a helping hand, thank you very much with, the, with CGI and what your initiative has done to help. Well, it was interesting. I, I've always loved going down there. I love the feeling of it. I like the culture. And we were trying to help and still are trying to help working down there in the aftermath of all these storms, which have become more numerous and more intense. No one in Puerto Rico doubts that the climate is changing. Oh, absolutely. But I remember walking down the streets of, uh, after I'd done my day's work, we just took a walk down through the old part of San Juan, and I looked up, and there was a group of electrical workers, not just from New York, but people who had worked in my little town, Chappaqua, and they were saying, you know, we we have trees knocked down in winter storms and all that and wires get messed up. So I'd actually run into these guys as a citizen, not because I was president, just walking the streets after a winter storm. And there they were trying to help Puerto Rico. And I think that we forget that there, Puerto Rico has a lot of it's citizens in America now doing well and making a difference, and and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the years ahead. Economically, it's because it's it, it's always been a kind of bellwether, I think, for financial status with regards to the country. And we talk about infrastructure; that the infrastructure there really needs a lot of help. There's still, you know, 2017. There's still twenty, thirty thousand blue tarps still from Maria. And um, so thank you for doing your part. We'll, we, have, we have to keep it going. We'll be right back. 
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Let's talk a little about In the Heights. Why do you want to be a part of this? And how much did growing up in New York City give you a feel for In the Heights? And had, did you see it when it was on Broadway? I saw it before it was on Broadway. I saw it off Broadway. I, was, I have a friend, a friend who worked at a place called the, that's no longer there. Uh, it's called the Drama Bookstore. Yep, I remember it. You, go, you can go get any play. To, and it, it's a place that, uh, that a young Lin-Manuel Miranda used to go and, uh, and read plays. And they did a, a reading, him and his Wellesleyan crew did a reading of uh, that play down in the basement. They have a little tiny theater there. And uh, my friend who I went to college with he had emailed me and said, you know, there's some kids down there that are really, they're really, they really got it. They're the next wave. And I got to see that, that particular production in the off-Broadway iteration, and I was just amazed that there was such positivity there about that story, and, and so current, but at the same time giving kind of like a history of a neighborhood through a very specific lens, but following the tropes of a Broadway musical, giving joy at the same time, you know, and uh, very impressed with Lynn. The themes in the story 
are just something that speak to me. And although through a very specific lens, they're, they speak of the, because of specific lens with regards to the community that you're seeing, but it speaks of what America is about. Family, community, where is home, all those things that we just talked about before. And um, the director of the piece, John Chu, who directed Crazy Rich Asians, I think is the perfect director for this because he, you know, he embodies the same types of, of sentiments from another perspective, maybe, but the same senses of community and all of those things. And, um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what, what Lynn did with the play, how he was able to open it up with Kiara Houdis, who's uh, the screenwriter, and then, and then what John has done with these, in terms of the cinematic contribution, all of these flourishes that are in the film towards old Hollywood that audiences, I think, will connect with. In the, in the movie, uh, you play the fodder of one of those young people that you've tried to help along. Uh, Leslie Grace is a very gifted young Dominican. Was that fun for you? Super talented, Leslie is musically and just gave herself, opened herself in terms of um, being on a, a big movie set, being one of the leads in, in, in this film. And it was fun for me because we were able to, in terms of our scenes, we were able to connect on that father and daughter level and, uh, and, and just watch... Her work was incredible, as is all of the principles in, in, in the film. I guess I should say, I don't want to give any of the movie away, but I, I guess you know, it, I, I should say that In the Heights is somewhat different from the Broadway version because it was updated to take into account, you know, development since the play was first performed. And... Uh, in this movie, your daughter uh, has gone to Stanford a long way away, and it is having reservations about it. I won't say any more about that, but uh, since my daughter went to Stanford, I think to get as far away from Washington, D.C. <laughs> as she could, <laughs> much to her mother's dismay. Uh, but it was a great move for her, and it was... Uh, I, we're all doing that all the time. We're all simultaneously trying to come home and go away, you know, and keep going. But she, that, that particular character, she, she, she finds her way. She finds a purpose. And one of the things you're, uh, you're alluding to is this, this brushstroke in terms of opening the film up, dealing with the dreamers situation. And she, uh, she finds new purpose in, in that. Yeah, I think the, uh, the Dreamers clearly have a lot of support in America. And I keep hoping that that can be the beginning of a sensible immigration reform. That having these wars over immigration is a big mistake. This country needs its immigrants. And uh, the, the, I noticed the other day the great economist Paul Krugman, uh, who writes in the New York Times, says that uh, 
he believes that, uh, and I agree with him on this, that we, we're right to be spending a lot of money now from the government coffers to try to get the economy going again and get back to the jobs we lost, at least, you know, in the in the COVID recession, which was steep and deep and quick. Uh, but he said the truth is that we could be into a, a long, long period of economic uh, slowdown just because the populations aren't growing. Every country in the world, without regard to their religion or their culture or their politics, every country, once they start to grow and they put girls in school and give women access to the workplace and to education, the birth rate inevitably drops. And a couple of years ago, America's birth rate dropped below replacement level for the native born. Our only way to continue to grow is to have a responsible immigration policy and say uh, America is an idea, not an ethnic group. Absolutely. And uh, you can come here if you believe in the rule of law and the freedom of all people to live and work together and grow together and learn from each other. And it is maybe the single biggest thing we face, uh, our ability to continue to build shared prosperity, our ability to get together and handle climate change, our ability to, you know, once again, find a way to counter rising violence in our cities without having police practices that wind up with unarmed people wanted for minor offenses being shot. You don't, there, all these things that we're dealing with at root work better if you have a democracy based on certain behavioral instincts. I might learn something from this person. We'll be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562 562- 
314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Let me ask you something about this. Uh, We were talking about it a little before we started the program, but you have played this incredible range of characters including I noted when I was doing some research for this that you actually were in at least two productions of Shakespeare in the Park, something we do in the summertime in in, uh, Central Park showing Shakespeare's plays. Uh, You did L.A. Law, then you did NYPD Blue, and you got nominated, I think, totally 11 times for Emmys in both of them. How hard did you have to work as an actor, and how conscious were you that I need to present this person whole, warts and all, but still whole, basically good or strong or struggling. But if it's a dark character, they're not all dark. If it's a light character, it's not all light. It's a, how, how much were you aware of that in all of your roles, that you had to present not a cartoon, but a person? I've been very lucky, Mr. President, in terms of the people that I've worked with, that it was on the page. So that helps. Sometimes it's not there on the page, but it's your responsibility as an actor to flesh out a backstory for a particular character. I was talking about the tools in the toolbox because it's a, it's a craft. So... As part of the job, you try to do as much research as you can, time permitting, and keep that ongoing, talking to people who are in the profession, different perspectives, um, and and then trying to flush out with the writers, hopefully. In television, it's it's a more fluid process because it can change. You have much more time, so the canvas can open up a bit more. But... Certainly in the work on NYPD Blue, the writer had a kind of schematic that all of these characters had a something dark and somber about them, as positive as they could be, but there was something also that informed them character-wise that the audience could engage with. So they would want to see how, because they knew they understood what the character schematic was of Sipowitz, the Sipowitz character, the Simone character, the somberness that he might have exhibited, that they knew they, you would have the framework of an ongoing series in terms of procedural, but you had character points that the audience could kind of grasp onto. So... What you're talking about in terms of flushing out a particular character, that's part of what the process is to try to make him him or her three-dimensional. Well, let's talk about one character that I'm curious about. I was a big fan of the West Wing. And uh, 
Dulé Hill actually came and spent some time at the White House, and several of the others folks did too. And I thought it had a better chance to succeed because it was an ensemble story. That is, you can make something interesting happens uh, every week in the White House to somebody who works there who has an important job. So it was real. The West Wing was this flowing, amazing group of characters. And in the fullness of time, you emerge as Matt Santos and you become president. So there you are, our first Latino president. What kind of reaction did you get? How how did you feel about playing the character? He's he's a politician. He's not a you know an angel, but a compelling person. And the fact that this person from a different type of heritage that you might expect, what would be some of the dynamics that would be involved in that campaign process? He happened to be from from Texas, that, that character. And uh, so that came into play. And uh, the whole dynamic of, are you feel like, do you feel like you're being handled as a candidate with the people that surround you? <laughs> um, that, was a, that was a dynamic that we explored. And the campaign process, it was, it was fascinating for me to be able to deal with. Um, there were times when I thought about you, sir, from the time that we spent in terms of how someone in, the pro in this particular process communicates directly with people. You, you talk about this in your podcast. Everybody has a story. But when you have the ability to kind of make the person that you're talking to engage with them in the sense that Tell me your story because it helps. That's, some, that's a quality in terms of a successful candidate that I, that, that I absorb just from watching you, sir. Uh, and then talking to other politicians also as well. I guess I should tell our listeners that uh, Jimmy was good enough to campaign with me in Texas uh, in 1996. <laughs> And I had a, a different reaction. I was watching you, and I thought, God, I'm glad I'm not running against that guy. <laughs> yeah, you were good. You had a, a natural feel, and it was obvious to me you cared about the people we were down there talking to. So I, uh, But I, I think that that was an important step in television. We did a debate episode that remains to me uh, one of the highlights of, you know, I can count them on my hand, but we had, we had a live debate that we did. It was like doing a play that Lawrence O'Donnell uh, was the writer on that particular episode. And Alan and Alda and I, it was, you still had the, the machinations of what was going on be behind the scenes with all of the, uh, you know, the handlers and the staff, but... It was basically what the candidates' perspectives were. Yeah, I think those. Uh, I think those debates are important, and uh, interestingly enough, they still make a difference. And uh, at least through 2016, there was so much polarization, and in 20, 
20, there was more. But still, the debates matter because it's one of the few times you get to actually see this person instead of see what their enemies or their promoters are saying about them. And so the people who can still be reached by argument and feel, I think, are affected by them. And uh, anyway, you did a great job. You were you were good in the movie, and you were better on the ground in Texas. <laughs> I mean, not movie, in the TV show. Um, tell me what happened with uh, Bluff City Law. I liked it. Hillary and I liked Aww, it. thank you. I always dreamed of being in law practice with her, and my daughter never wanted to be a lawyer. She got into public health and loved it and stayed, and I'm very proud of her, but uh, I love the feel of it. I had a great, you know, they all don't, they all don't hit. You can't hit them all out of the park, but uh, we had a great time doing it. Loved, loved working in Memphis. We, we didn't, we did, we, it was, it was something about trying to find, that the show was trying to find its uh, momentum. We did an episode called uh, Fire in a Crowded Theater, which was about the First Amendment. And I thought, this is it. We're the local locomotion's moving. And then, you know, the numbers weren't great, weren't what they expected. So uh, we didn't make it. But I, I had a great time working on it. Uh, let me ask you one question that I think is related to this, because I want to end on stuff that you do. You said that your mother inspired you to do this work you do, including trying to get young people into acting. But uh, we, we talk all the time about the disparities in American life, and there are the obvious ones in terms of uh, income and wealth formation and access to health care and how people are treated in law enforcement and all of that. But you've really focused on the fact that only about four and a half percent of the roles uh, on television and in the movies are filled by Latinos, even though 18% of the population is Latino in America and 23% of the movie-going public is Latino, which I think is great. We over-index in terms of going to the movies. Yeah. Especially that first weekend, the, that, that those important couple of first weekends. Yeah. So... Just before we go, tell people what you're trying to do to close that gap and what else you think should be done. Well, it's it's all about representation. And, and again, I'll go back to if you see it, you can believe, you can aspire to, to you know, to, to do it yourself. And um, as I said, Mr. President, I, the, the education process for me has been everything in terms of allowing me to continue. And I just wanted to pass that on in in the small niche of the arts um, because confirmation from the outside sometimes when you walk into a room and if you have a degree from NYU or Yale or University of Texas the drama school there it 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 helps it, it talk it, it bespeaks to the fact that you you can show versatility and and uh, and you have tools for in the in the toolbox there. So, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Oh, 
I love doing what I do, um, but there is a need to continue to tell our stories, and uh, so it's it's about finding ways in terms of the pro producerial thing um, to finding those seeds to let the those trees grow. Yeah, I I think that's an important thing to say. You have to learn both how to accept with grace what you're not doing anymore and how to accept with vigor what you can still do. And one of the great things about being in, in your line of work is that you may age out of certain roles, but you don't have to age out of the work. And I think that's really important. I certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah, me too. But I think, I, I really believe that you can, you should be so proud of this amazing career you've had and all the roles you've played. And I'm only sorry I didn't get to see you in one of the Shakespeare plays. But I, uh, I'm thrilled about In the Heights and I do want the American people to know, the people listening to this, that you have done your best to pass along your gifts through the Hispanic Federation of trying to educate more young people and, uh, and to teach them and everybody else that if you want to be really good at something, you got to put in the time and not look for the shortcuts. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you got to put in... Put put the work in. And you have done it to great effect, and we're very grateful to you. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. And President. I thank you. Thank you for your time today, and good luck with the premiere. It's going to be a great, a great run, oh, I, I think. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you for the allowing us to have a, a, a real conver a conversation. God bless you. I love it. Thank you. Bless you. On our season finale, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for joining me on Why Am I Telling You This? For conversations with some of the most fascinating people I know, sharing stories about experiences and events that connect us and shape our world. This podcast benefits the work of the Clinton Foundation. I started the foundation with the belief that everyone deserves a chance to succeed. Everyone has a responsibility to act, and we all do better when we work together. In the 20 years since the foundation first opened its doors in Harlem, we've brought together people from across traditional divides to address some of the most complex and pressing challenges of our time. Our goal is to create a culture of possibility, always putting people first. You can learn more at clintonfoundation.org. I'm looking forward to joining you soon on our next season of Why Am I Telling You This? Why Am I Telling You This is a presentation of iHeartRadio, the Clinton Foundation, and At Will Media. Our executive producers are Craig Manassian from the Clinton Foundation and Will Malnati from At Will Media. Our production team for the Clinton Foundation includes Tom Galton, Sarah Horowitz, and Angel Urena, with support from Corey Gansley, Omar Farul, Francesca Ernst Kahn, Liz Raftery, and Tyler Scott. Our production team for At Will Media includes Jameson Katsufis and Mitch Bluestein with mixing by Jake Young, production coordination by Latavia Young, and original music by Watt White. Special thanks 
to John Sykes, Tina Flanoy, John Davidson, Oscar Flores, Bob Barnett, Michael O'Connor, Kevin Thurm, and all our dedicated staff and partners at the Clinton Foundation. If you have an idea or suggestion for the show, we'd love to hear from you. So please visit clintonfoundation.org podcast to share your thoughts with us. If you like the show, tell someone else about it. You can subscribe to Why Am I Telling You This on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. By listening to this podcast, you're helping support the work of the Clinton Foundation. So thank you. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.